This is The Guardian. Today, what did this year look like from the view of The Guardian's joke writer-in-chief? Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Do take note, John Crace can be a little bit sweary. So this is just a heads up before we start. Every working day, John Crace has the pleasure of observing the worst of British politics, up close from his cubby in Westminster. As The Guardian's parliamentary sketchwriter, it's John's job to distill what happens in Parliament and translate it back to us with a bit of wit, a bit of humour. How does he do it? And is there anyone better to turn to for a bit of festive cheer? I've always had a rather sort of grim view on life, really. Uh, (laughs) I've always worked from the assumption that there is no situation so bad that it can't get worse. Can't it? From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus... Digesting 2023 with John Grace. John Grace, you're The Guardian's parliamentary sketch writer in a year where, let's be honest, we're not blessed with the two best parliamentary performers. Starmer, as we all know, can be a little awkward. And Sunak, as you wrote in January, seems actually to be getting worse. What do you make of the dynamic between them? Starmer, sort of solid, sort of underwhelming, really. But I quite like that. You know, as a sketch writer, boring often can be an asset. Madam Deputy Speaker, I would say that this treaty's got more holes in than the Swiss cheese, but I don't want to wind up the Prime Minister (laughs) by talking about a European country again. With sort of Rishi Sunak, we've seen the sort of wheels come off. I'm always, I'm less interested in the externals of our politician. I'm more interested in doing a deconstruction of their psyche. And Ooh. Yeah, I, I kind of consider myself as an unpaid therapist to the cabinet, really. And with Rishi, we've seen a really tetchy, thin-skinned man. He was, Mr Speaker, he was for them all before he was against them. He's not, he's not just the softy, he's the flaky too. He doesn't like it when things go wrong or he feels that he's been misinterpreted. I mean, politicians spend their whole life being misinterpreted. You would have thought that was 
part of the job, mm. really. That but, he might be used to it by now. Yeah, and that he, he would have accepted it and got used to it and sort of roll with the punches and sort of take it out on his peloton or something. <laughs> he doesn't seem like a very roll with the punches kind of guy. He isn't. He isn't. He gets really snappy. This year actually began with him laying out his five pledges, but what really seemed to exercise him and his true reason for entering politics was maths. This was just bonkers. It was kind of mad. But we're one of the few countries not to require our children to study some form of maths up to the age of 18. The country was going through a cost-of-living crisis. We were still reeling from the Liz Trust budget. And Rishi decided that the one thing that was going to get everyone back on side and love the Tories again was getting everyone to do maths to 18. Um, Did you do maths to 18? No, I did maths to 16. I'm not that great. I wish I was better, actually. I, I've often thought that when I retire, I might go off and to see if I could do a maths A-level for fun. That's it. basically you want to living out... Well, you want to I want live, to live out extreme. I want to, I want to be Rishi. I've got to try and marry a billionaire first. But once I've done that, the maths will come quite easily, I think. The skills to feel confidence with your finances, to find the best mortgage deal or savings rate, the ability to do your job better and get paid more, and greater self-confidence to navigate a changing world. Well, on the subject of slightly wooden rich people, we also had, back in the winter, the release of Prince Harry's book, Spare, which you read, and I sort of read, so the rest of us didn't actually have to. What did you make of it? Well... It was a surprisingly good read in the way it was written, because obviously Prince Harry hadn't written it. He had got the best ghostwriter in the game. It all happened so fast, so very fast. He grabbed me by the collar, ripping my necklace, and he knocked me to the floor. I landed on the dog's bowl, which cracked under my back, the pieces cutting into me. I lay there for a moment, dazed, then got to my feet and told him to get out. Come on, hit me. You'll feel better if you hit me. Do what? Come on, we always used to fight. You'll feel better if you hit me. No, only you'll feel better if I hit you. Please. The main thing, I mean, about the book was his bizarre sense of entitlement. Who would have thought from Who a prince? Would, yeah. yeah. His feeling of being neglected because he was offered the worst flat in Kensington Palace. You know, that was the height of a, a real snub. And then, you know, when the Queen died, Prince William and, and his dad, the King, didn't arrange for him a private jet to fly him up to Balmoral. So he had to hire his own jet. Can you imagine the sense of shame and snub attached to all that. Absolute sorrow. Yeah. I think the grimmest detail of all was Sir Harry revealing that he had killed 25 people. <laughs> um, 
I mean, that was sort of left hanging there, really. He says he feels no guilt about it, but if I'd killed 25 people, I think... Just to be clear, your count's 24. Yeah, exactly. I'm as one to go, Nasheen, so (laughs) be very careful. John, another book that saw a very different kind of controversy was Matt Hancock's, one of the architects of lockdown who discovered perhaps perhaps it's not the best idea to disclose all your millions of personal messages to the journalist Isabel Oakeshott, herself a massive lockdown critic. In the spring, she released them. She was supposed to be helping him write his memoir. She released his WhatsApps. What was he thinking? Honestly, I'm still wondering myself, because I always thought that Matt Hancock was sort of dim and narcissistic. But I mean, he has taken it to a new level. I mean, you know, apart from being a lockdown sceptic, to put it bluntly, Isabel Oakeshott has a bad reputation in Westminster at betraying her sources. (laughs) I mean, she was the one who broke the Chris Hoon and Vicky Price story about sort of swapping over speeding fines and handed them over to the police. She got her two sources banged up. Which is, you don't do that as a journalist, just just to be clear. Just to be clear, it's considered pretty bad form. I don't have any animus for Matt Hancock. I hope he doesn't want to go to war with me. I think that would be a very unfortunate and ugly business because this is much bigger than him. I mean, I can only assume that she said to him, look, I can make your book really big. I can make the country love you and I can get you a far bigger advance than you would get from anyone else. I mean, that's all I can imagine. Did any of those wishes come true? No, I don't. The book sold next to nothing. Um, And he's not loved? No, people hate him even more. Everybody thinks he's a twat. (laughs) For heaven's sake, man, stand up and be counted. As Russell Crowe says in the film Gladiator, a clip I regularly play for my staff, hold the line, stay with me. Meanwhile, John, the Conservatives were showing they were moving on, onto new people, new ideas. And so it takes us back to the NatCon conference in May, which, if everyone has forgotten, was this right-wing jamboree that took place with all your favourite speakers, I'm sure. John, have you already bought your ticket for next year? Well, I'll quickly point out that I didn't pay for my ticket this year. But if they have another conference, believe me, I will be there. I mean, it is sketch writing heaven, though it is just merely inspired or uninspired lunacy. Lady Thatcher and I have been communing about national conservatism and this new movement. And I'm happy to report that she is totally on board. We had Suella Braverman. She was Home Secretary, delivering her own manifesto. But then we also had Miriam Cates. I mean, she is someone who will sort of burn dimly and then fizzle out, because I think she's almost certain to lose her seat at the next election. The one overarching threat to British conservatism, and indeed the whole of Western society. No, it's not climate change. It's not Russia or China or Iran. 
It's not the neo-Marxist ideology that has so weakened our institutions. Her message to the NatCons was have more babies. Ah. There is one critical outcome that liberal individualism has completely failed to deliver, and that is babies. But the sort of coded message was they had to be the right kind of babies. I mean, that was the message, because her view was that, you know, the country has literally become overrun with people who don't share British values. And the way to get your country back is to have about 10 babies for every sort of middle class couple, and then to sort of fight fire with fire or something. John, May seemed to be a really big month for you because we also had the biggest, perhaps most historic event of the year, which was the coronation. Did you like the costumes? I loved... I mean, I kind of loved everything about it because in the run-up to the coronation, we'd been fed sort of black-and-white grainy footage of the 1953 coronation because that was obviously the last one that... and the only one that they had any kind of... Stuff of, and it turns out that when you film it in ultra high definition, it looks a bit shit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Not all glamorous and yeah. golden, and no, like no, it looks more like a kind of Disney cartoon than a sort of ancient tradition. And the most remarkable, I think, was the way. Everyone decided that Penny Mordaunt was the breakout star. Yeah, what was going on there? I mean, she literally, I mean, she'd done weight training or something because she had to hold up a sword for 30 minutes or something like that. Duke of Norfolk, the Earl Marshal, and then Penny Mordaunt, the Lord President of the Council, Cabinet Minister, who is a sword bearer today. It's the first time that um, a woman has fulfilled this role in the coronation service. On the basis of this, loads of politico pundits and people with lots of time on their hands decided this made Penny Mordaunt a next leadership contender for the Tory party. That's all it takes, Yeah, bit of sword holding. Yeah, the bar has become that low. John, in the summer, a story that I've been rumbling around all year came to a head. The eyes to the right, 354. The nose to the left, seven. Seven. Boris Johnson was found to have deliberately misled the Commons and, in a flash, had not only resigned as MP, but said he was the victim of a kangaroo court. In the months since, of course, we've had perhaps the real explanation for his fall. Because... For Nadine Dorries, his former minister and forever champion, she's exposed it all. Writing this book was the hardest thing that I have ever done. But I wanted people to know about the darkness that rests at the heart of power in this country. The movement, as she calls it in her book, that shady conspiracy that controls the Tory party from within. How did you not see it? 
I, I mean, sometimes you just miss the most obvious things, really. I mean, I've got to hand it to Nadine. This this book really is the most astonishing piece of investigative journalism. I mean, she has spoken to so many different voices, most of which have been in our own head. Each person I interviewed told me a similar story, that I was about to uncover something that was dark and deeply undemocratic. I mean, basically, the Tory party has been in mortal danger since 1997. What I discovered was that there was a plot to remove Boris Johnson, which was carefully constructed by this small group of men who years ago were known as the movement. John, if by now the signs were everywhere that the Tory party and the country was in a state of collapse, then we also had the actual prospect of concrete buildings crumbling under their watch. Can you tell me what you enjoyed the most about Gillian Keegan when she was tasked with solving this problem? The one thing everyone will remember about Gillian is what she thought was the off-air remark to the ITV cameraman. Does anyone ever say, you know what, you've done a f- Good job, because everyone else has sat on their ass and done nothing. No, no, no signs of that. No? Everyone had known that a lot of this concrete had a sort of half life of forty or fifty years or whatever, and would need replacing. And they just didn't do it. And they thought, well, why? Uh, what should we do? Should we replace the the buildings? And they thought, no, why don't we just wait till stuff falls on kiddies' heads? Because that's so much more entertaining. It was also the perfect metaphor at the perfect time because it felt like the country was falling to bits and it turns out that it was. And of course, that wasn't the only shambles the Tories were presiding over. In September, they hosted their annual conference and there were quite bizarre cues of people waiting to see Liz Truss, you know, Britain's shortest-lived Prime Minister. John, please can you help us understand the appeal? For Liz Truss? Oh, yeah. Oh, I can really sell her. Believe me. I mean, may I first express my undying love for her? Um, <laughs> you heard she it is, first. She is the prime minister that every sketch writer dreams of. This sort of glorious self-delusion and obvious incompetence. Liz Truss. Thank you very much, Liam. Thank Conference you. season. She's still there. Yeah, know, she was. shame, fully bold, striding in. How did she do? Well, I mean, it was kind of nonsense. I mean, there is something absolutely shameless about her because some people might feel wounded, feel they've got lessons to learn from only having been Prime Minister for 49 days and for tanking the economy and for costing most people thousands on their mortgages. Perhaps even a tinge of guilt. Humility? Yeah, humility. Maybe you got it wrong. No, for Liz. Liz is certain that the only thing that went wrong is we didn't get enough Liz. If only she'd been given another 49 days, everything would have come good. Now, what we need to do as a party and as a country is make life easier Then, of course, let's talk about the comeback of them all. 
Baron Cameron of Chipping Norton. John, how do you feel seeing him back in the room? I, I literally, I couldn't believe it. I, when I saw pictures of Cameron walking into Downing Street on the morning of the reshuffle, I thought, it can't be. It literally can't be. This is a man who has been disgraced. He left government in disgrace. Um, But as you've amply shown, disgrace isn't a reason for Tory MPs to hold back. No, I know. But I mean, this was the man responsible for one of Britain's greatest foreign policy disasters, which was an unintended Brexit. And then he wrote a really dreary book in his shepherd's hut and then did some really dodgy lobbying for a venture capitalist Greensill. I, David, Lord Cameron of Chipping Norton, do swear by Almighty God that I will be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles, his heirs and successors, according to law. So help me God. I mean, if it wasn't actually on some level disturbingly funny, but I have to remind myself of the moral compromises that the country is being forced to make each day. Satire is meaningless if it isn't a morality check. It can't just be entertaining nihilism. It's got to be something more to it. I mean, I do care about this stuff. On the subject of great decisions made by Rishi Sunak, there is also perhaps the conference that really got his heart racing, his AI summit. The AIPM, as you've called him, more avatar than human, I think he said. <laughs> it's kind of nuts. The country is falling apart. And Rishi clearly doesn't want to be remembered as the person who's kind of supervised over the dying embers of this version of the Tory party. So thought, I'm going to have an AI conference. And he announced it with a press conference. And we, we were told that sort of Rishi has some great, fascinating insights into AI. He's a tech bro. He understands this. He's got a house in California. He's sort of born knowing this shit. And Rishi gave this 10-minute speech. And his stunning is- intuition was, AI is going to change the world. Yeah. And some bits of it could be really good, but some bits of it could be really bad. Oh, I've been waiting for someone to tell me. I know, I know. This was the great insight. AI will bring new knowledge, new opportunities for economic growth, new advances in human capability, and the chance to solve problems that we once thought were beyond us. But like those waves, it also brings new dangers and new fears. You know, at the AI summit, there was then this sort of hour-long interview on Twitter, or X as we have to call it now, between Musk and Sunak, which basically sounded as though Sunak was going for a job interview. Right. Let me get straight into it. So, Bill Gates said, 
There is no one in our time who has done more to push the bounds of science innovation than you. Well, that's kind of him to say. Yeah, well, that's it. That's a nice thing to have anyone say about you. Coming up. What is John Crace most looking forward to in 2024? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. John, as we've come to the end of the year, we've at least had some, a little bit of parliamentary drama. You know, the leaders might be dull, but the mad Tory right is back. We've had the Rwanda plan, something called the five families, as if Tory groups are under the illusion they're starring in an episode of The Sopranos. Marc Francois emerging as some kind of key player. What on earth is going on? The best way to look on it is that the Tories have been dry drunks. They're sort of chaos addicts, really. And they've been trying to sort of not relapse since Brexit, because Brexit was their moment when literally any idiot could stand up and be taken seriously. Say, I... Uh, and everyone would go, yeah, we'll take Marc Francois seriously. Who could take Marc Francois seriously? We all want to stop the boats... There have been two legislative attempts at this already. The Nationalities and Borders Act, that didn't quite work. The Illegal Immigration Act, that didn't quite work. So this is kind of three strikes and you're out, isn't it? But suddenly, on Rwanda, we've got a whole lot of, not just the European Research Group, 
we've got the Northern Research Group, mm. which turns out to be the sort of Red Wall MPs. Mm. We have the Conservative group, Growth Group. Um, right, keep up. Yeah, the New Conservatives. Huh. And... They are Danny Kruger and Miriam Cates. I think there's literally only two of them. They're they're a family of two. Right. Which is bizarre because Miriam Cates is so keen on large families. <laughs> and then we have the bizarrely named Common Sense Group, which is basically a bunch of idiots. A gift to the world. I keep saying this to anybody that will listen. Look at the things we've done in the past. We've given railways, we've given technology, the Industrial Revolution, arts, culture, Dickens, Shakespeare, sports. Look at, you know, football, tennis, rugby, golf. John, finally, I'm pretty confident I can wish you a Happy New Year because I know this next thing is definitely something you're looking forward to. In April 2024... Liz Truss's 10 Years to Save the West. Order your coffee now. It's coming out. How do you feel? I really can't wait. I mean, obviously, because there is this sense that this is the book that the country has been waiting for. Um, suddenly, everything will come. Inside. And also, I can promise now that I will be doing a digested read of it. So, Liz... I mean, if you've got advanced proofs and you happen to be listening, please talk me through it. Because I want to know. I want to believe. You want to save the West? I want to save the West. John, thanks so much for your time. Oh, thank you, Nasheen. That was John Crace. You can, of course, buy his very funny new book, a collection of his Guardian columns titled Depraved New World, which is out now in all good bookshops, including the Guardian bookshop. And it's a big recommend from me. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen Iqbal, and this episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Elizabeth Cassin. See you again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. A new year is full of surprises, but one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. 
Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.